Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. On today's show, I'm breaking down the week four slate with Mr. Parker Hurley. Yeah, Parks, I mean, this won't get out tonight, but we can touch on the game tonight real quick just so people can get your thoughts on it. Um, opened... Uh, Bengals land four and a half. That has been bit up to seven and a half across the board. Um, Jack's coming in, you know, up on Arizona for a little while there, and then Cardinals ended up, you know, putting them away. But uh, this total was 49. It's been bet down to 46 and a half, 46 in some spots. Um, how do you see the game tonight playing out? Yeah, probably in terms of the spread, a bit of an overreaction in terms of Pittsburgh beating or Cincinnati beating Pittsburgh. Really a Super Bowl type of win when you look at Cincinnati and you look at their historical trends, not only against the Pittsburgh Steelers in general, but when they go into Heinz Field and Zach Taylor earned his second road win ever as a head coach in his third NFL season. So beating Pittsburgh, getting that Super Bowl win, people are feeling good about them. But in my opinion, it sets up for a potential letdown spot with a coach like Zach Taylor, who, like I just said, has never been in this situation before, coming off of a win where, yes, you beat Pittsburgh, but, you know, we kind of are seeing that this is not the Pittsburgh of old that we've typically seen in years past, so it may not look, you know, while it looks great, and it is, you know, they had to get over that hump. It was clearly a mental hurdle for them, and to get over that is great, but now looking to a Jacksonville team on a short week, you could definitely see the letdown spot, and typically when teams play against Pittsburgh, one of the more hardest-hitting physical teams in the NFL, you typically feel the effects of that the following week. So, you know, the issue is that... Urban Meyer on a short week on the road is just something that he's never had to do before in college football, and we're learning that he didn't understand that the NFL and college football are completely different sports, which is just it's just crazy to me. Um, and Trevor Lawrence, you know, as much as everyone wants to give him a pass because Urban Meyer is a disaster, um, he makes a lot of mistakes. But the thing is for him is that he's so insanely aggressive, and um, he really he stands in there and stands in there and throws it deep down the football field. He never ever ever checks down, and you know leads to a lot of interceptions and a lot of you know issues along those lines, but it does lead to the potential for big plays at any time, and Cincinnati has been playing super slow this season. A lot of people are speculating it's because of Joe Burrow's injury status, um, and they're running the football like at an extremely high rate. Um, so, you know, Cincinnati just plays slow and runs the football long enough to keep the back door wide open for Trevor Lawrence to hit a bomb, and that's where you start to really like the points, and you just assume that you know Jacksonville's defense potentially look to the over because, you know, if Cincinnati can't set up a run game and Jamar Chase um, you know, has a touchdown every week, it seems like. So um, you kind of like Jamar Chase, especially with T. Higgins out. You know, the matchup is there for Chase. So like I said, and then Lawrence is just, he's never going to stop throwing and he's never going to stop gunslinging. And the reality is they were up 19 to 10 late into the third quarter against the Arizona Cardinals. Or maybe, yeah, I think it was 19 to 10. And then it goes 19 to 17. Arizona uh, cuts it to 19 to 17. And they throw a flea flicker where J.J. Watt just blows it up. It was a really embarrassing play. And uh, Trevor Lawrence throws a pick six that, completely changes the trajectory of the game, but it shows that Jacksonville over three weeks has been starting to get better and was leading Arizona 19 to 10. So they could potentially hang with a team like Cincinnati. So yeah, um, 27, 20 is how I kind of have it. All right, Parks, moving on to Sunday at one o'clock, Washington football team travels to Atlanta, take on the Falcons. Uh, on the look ahead, Parks, Washington was a small favorite. This one opened at Falcons two and a half. So that flipped and it's flipped back to Washington football team lane one, one and a half, some spots. Um, the total of 47 and a half has been ticked up to 48. looks like across the board there, Parks. Um, 
How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I definitely like Washington to win this game, and I like I like the under, but I definitely like Washington more. And the reality is that Washington's defense hasn't played very well the last couple of weeks. But I think you could give some credence to um, you know playing a guy like Josh Allen, who's really starting to get going. I thought it was going to be a better game plan. I think it shows that the Steelers, you know, um, I think we'll talk about them with Buffalo, but they kind of um, helped Buffalo get better as the season's gone on, and I think that they showed a responsible game plan against a pass rush in Washington. And and the secondary of Washington um, is really getting picked apart at this point, and that's their huge weakness. The issue is that Matt Ryan, I don't know, you know, it's easy to say that Ben Roethlisberger is done. I think Ryan is probably, you know, he'll come back next season, and I think the thing is that he's going to try and pull the Matthew Stafford and, you know, figure somewhere out to play next season. But um, he, he looks close to done, you know. Uh, he has an average depth of target at around five. Um, some, some of these games is hovering around four and a half. Um, he just doesn't throw the ball anything you know, below five yards and beyond that, he's one of the least accurate quarterbacks. So you talk about a guy that is throwing the ball under five yards and he's not even throwing the ball accurately. And one of the things that the issue is his offensive line is just a disaster. I've talked about it. The GM got fired because he drafted such a poor offensive line and, you know, a guy like Jalen Mayfield, a rookie, not really helping things right now. So you go into Buffalo, I think added max protection, really helped their offensive line. Um, Atlanta, they max protect pretty well, and they have guys like Lee Smith um, and things of that nature, but what that does is, you know, uh, you can only throw five guys out in routes, and when you max protect, you're only having so many guys out in routes, and what that does with Atlanta in general, when Calvin Ridley is literally the only pass catcher to have any fear in, you know, strikes fear in the eyes of anyone, you know, that's the thing with Josh Allen, he was picking apart that Washington secondary, because the name of the game with Washington is find St. Juice, you know, the rookie, and just attack him, and attack him, and, you know, they can't do that. That when if all the coverage shifts to one player, Calvin Ridley, you know, can Olamide's Zacchaeus, you know, is he going to attack St. Juice in ways that you can really think so? Potentially, but not really. And, you know, you think that Washington's pass rush with the four first round picks really getting embarrassed by Buffalo. And a lot of people are pointing the finger at them in the city of Washington and everybody's calling them overrated. So you kind of expect them to bounce back. And what a perfect bounce back spot. One of the worst offensive lines in the NFL. And even though if Washington isn't getting the pressure, and the thing is, they're getting pressure, they're just not getting home with sacks, so you assume that at some point they're going to get home with sacks, but even if they're not, you look at Matt Ryan and say that he is so afraid of the pass rush, and I think it was that Philly really struck a lot of fear in Matt Ryan's eyes, and he's saying, you know, I have one year left, this is an Atlanta rebuild, they're going to draft a quarterback because we're so bad, let me protect my body and get out of this season safe, and let me just throw these checkdowns and let me throw the ball away every chance I get. He's starting to get that vibe from Matt Ryan, so with this pass rush from um, the Washington pass rush, you think they're going to probably Atlanta's going to struggle to score and the reality is they just had an awful game plan against the New York Giants and only put up 17 points against the New York Giants and all of it pretty much came in the second half and most of it came because the Giants sat on their hands and did nothing um you could assume you know Washington isn't going to do much um especially you know Heineke at quarterback Gibson is now on the injury report with a foot injury after you know he explodes for a 70 yard touchdown could have caught another touchdown it's baffling to me that they don't use him in the passing game when he takes 70 yard screens you know to the end zone for six um, almost, you know, not all the time, but like he, you can see the burst and just the, his big playability is huge. And if they can get the ball in his hands a little more, but now he's banged up. Um, but you get this Atlanta defense and um, they protected Heineke pretty well. Atlanta can't get any pass rush whatsoever. Um, their linebackers, you know, Deion Jones looks like he's starting to hit his peak at, you know, age. You know, uh, I think if you get Gibson against him in space, all of a sudden Gibson is going to rip off 30 yard receptions or 30 yard rushes. And he's going to, I think this is a 
Patriots game where if, if Washington can get a lead, Gibson could start running downhill. And that's where, you know, you really start to get the money with big Gibson rushes and he's ripping off 10, 15 at a time. So um, I think Washington does. They get off to a lead here. They kind of establish it and they kind of go after it, you know. Pitts is going to, first off, he's going to be into max protect. And second off, he's going to be against the safeties. And it's just looking like a disaster of a pick. You know, it's only been a couple games and they're start, still getting the familiarity. And I'm sure down the line when they get a better offense in better quarterback and everything like that. But I, you can't play him in DFS. Terry McLaurin gets potentially A.J. Terrell. If he comes back, he was limited in practice, or I think. And But on the other side, they could get Fabian Moreau. So Terry McLaurin could have a good game. So um, I do have a 24-17. Uh, Washington over Atlanta. I think Washington wins this game pretty cleanly, honestly. And I think their defense, while it is overrated and while St. Just is an issue and Ron Rivera, I don't think his scheme is all that great. And I think that their safeties, they're mixing them up. It's not great. Atlanta is just not the team that can take advantage. And while their offense, you know, isn't all that great right now and they're not overly dynamic, Atlanta isn't the team that can take advantage of it. So Washington's going to win this game. All right, Parks, looking at the next one here, the Detroit Lions. Travel to Chicago to take on the Bears. This look ahead was Bears getting six at home. This one opened at five, has been bet down to three, even two and a half in some spots. Um, what's gotten hammered here is the under opened at 47s, down to even 41 and a half in one spot. Parks, break this one down for us. That's low, but it makes a lot of sense. I think there is still, like we just said, a little overreaction um, with some of these games. And I think Detroit has hung in some regards. Um, they hung, you know, within the number against the Green Bay Packers. Like I said, they were down 41 to 17 against San Francisco. And, um, you know, Lamar Jackson, we'll talk about it. Um, Hollywood dropped three touchdowns, basically. That, yeah, could have just, you know, completely tore that game wide open. Um and Hollywood just had an awful game, and that's the way it goes. So I think on one hand, you say Detroit has played Lamar Jackson, Detroit has played San Francisco's running attack, Detroit has played Green Bay, and now they get Chicago. This is a good relief spot for their defense. I kind of say, you know, their defense is probably going to regress to the mean, and that's, you know, the under is probably the play in that regard. I still think the overreaction from 16 to two and a half is pretty ridiculous, and I think it's media-driven for the most part. Um, I woke up on Monday morning, and Dan Orlovsky was, you know, saying, you know, fire Matt Nagy tomorrow for negligence and all these things. Um, and I think, you know, that he didn't have a good game plan. But the thing that I keep going back to with this is everyone kept saying, you know, roll out the pocket, roll out the pocket to Miles Garrett and to Davian Clowney. Like, where are you rolling him out to? What are you talking about rolling him out to Miles Garrett? Like, how does that make any sense whatsoever? Oh, play, play action. Justin Fields doesn't play on her center. So it's like, what are you talking about? Literally all draft season, all we talked about was, yeah, yeah. So like, what? And all you're doing with those is, and that's what they did. That's what my Matt Nagy did all game. But all it did was bought Jadavian Clowney time against Jermaine Effetti and Miles Garrett. In, um, against Jason Peters. So, you know, and the other thing is Justin Fields potentially isn't ready. You know, when you break down the All-22, um, a lot of people said he stared down his reads too long in college. Really can't, you know, you saw it. And, I, you know, like I said, Nagy didn't, you know, set him up for success or whatever. People were saying, I don't think... He 
I think against at Cleveland, in Cleveland, your first game, Cleveland just started JOK for the first time. I think it had to do with Fields' speed. They wanted to get JOK on the field. Um, you know, Ronnie Harrison was playing out of his mind. They really, you know, uh, Denzel Ward shuts down Allen Robinson. Like, you were outmatched from the start. And I bet on Cleveland, you know, from the start because it, you were outmatched. You were on the road, and it's a rookie's first start. And everybody wants to say that, you know, it was such a disaster, and it absolutely was. But, like, guess who's not going to be on the field next Sunday? Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clown and Denzel Ward and you know those guys are getting replaced by um you know Aquara and Charles Harris who's a bust and AJ Parker um you know who a lot of people don't know and Bobby Price who I don't know I had to look him up a couple weeks ago you know that's who's playing for Detroit here you know this isn't the same as the Cleveland Browns defense on the road this is the Detroit Lions at home it's a completely different situation now you can roll out the pockets because Miles Garrett isn't there so I expect more things of that nature to come into play and they're going to say you know oh, Matt Nagy you know got you know egged into this, I just don't know what your game plan would have been when, you know, especially, and I think there's pass protection issues, and I think that, I think that's the biggest issue for Matt Nagy right now, and I think Fields has to, you know, and I think, you know, one of the things is if potentially Dalton does play, I think it would honestly make Chicago the stronger side, because Dalton knows how to set protections, and Dalton doesn't stare down reads the way that Fields does, you know, he gets off to it, but Fields with his mobility and his arm strength put up, you know, and they have to start Fields because he's the rookie, and you know, after such a poor performance, he can't just sit on that. So I think they're going to start fields. I think they're going to be able to, like I said, Detroit has no pass rush whatsoever. Um, and so I think they're going to at least be able to get fields on the run a little bit more. They're going to have a great running game with David Montgomery, who's kind of been locked up the last two weeks, but you do look into it and Cincinnati's run defense has been really good recently. And like I said, with Cleveland, it was impossible to run against them. So you think against Detroit, they should have a little bit more success. Allen Robinson, like I said, he goes from, you know, Jalen Ramsey and Denzel Ward in his first couple weeks to now he, and you know, uh, he catches the touchdown and then Andy Dalton gets hurt. So it changes everything in terms of how Robinson has his big week two game. Now week four, like I said, he gets A.J. Parker for the most part. You know, that's bad. You would assume that in the thing with Fields is that, like I said, he stares down his read. He stares down Robinson a lot. and He just throws to Robinson like often. And, you know, there's going to be a little Mooney because he did look to Mooney. They could draw stuff up for Mooney. Um, Mooney was open or no, it was Demir Bird was open and Fields missed him. But Fields, what Fields was doing was looking at Robinson underneath and he missed Demir Bird wide open, you know, over the top. So but that's good in this situation that he's just going to pound Allen Robinson potentially for you know, um, uh, volume. And then you got Jared Goff against the Chicago Bears. Um, he's played three games against them. Obviously, it was with the Rams, completely different. But he has two touchdowns and five interceptions in three games with them. And that's with Sean McVay and Robert Woods and Cooper Cup. And now you have, you know, Khalif Raymond and, you know, guys like that. So um, the DeAndre Swift is obviously the offense. TJ Hawkinson is obviously the offense. Roquan Smith had a really good game against uh, Nick Chubb. Um, it obviously didn't bear out because uh, the time of possession and things of that nature, you know, fields, they got off the field so fast. And I mean, Cleveland's good. You know, their offensive line's really good. And they had an excellent game plan. But Roquan Smith was excellent in that game. I see him defending DeAndre Swift out of the backfield. And then you can, you know, put your pressure on Hawkinson. Jalen Johnson, they started covering Odell. They started following him. And they don't usually follow. They play sides. So um, I think, you know, when Hawkinson lines up as a receiver or out wide, he'll get him. But otherwise, you you can man up on, you know, Detroit. It's a much easier task for the secondary. I think Goff, the thing with Goff is that he doesn't take sacks under pressure. He throws picks under pressure and he throws bad passes under pressure because he's afraid of getting hit. So, you know, uh, Khalil Mack gets a backup right tackle. You know, Robert Quinn gets the stud uh, Sewell. So, but I mean, like I said, uh, 
big game for Khalil Mack coming. And it may not be sacks, but it may be him throwing the ball and Jalen Johnson getting a pick six. So I have it 21-13. And I said it, you know, I'm 3-0 here betting the Chicago Bears. I knew they were going to get blown out by the Rams. I knew they would bounce back and beat Cincinnati. I knew they were going to get blown out by Cincinnati. And I said, you know, they're going to beat Detroit. I've said it. I said this all in July. I didn't say this like a week or two ago. So I can't change my prediction now. So I assume this is an overreaction based on, like I said, everything from July through today has basically gone exactly how I figured other than Andy Dalton got hurt. I figured Andy Dalton would have got hurt against Miles Garrett. It just so happened to come a week earlier. So, you know, I thought he, I knew they were going to get blown out against Cleveland and I think they're going to bounce back and beat Detroit. The other thing is Matt Nagy's five and one against Detroit. Um, He did lose the last time against Detroit. And really when he lost to Detroit, it was the first time that there was pressure from the ownership that, and there was like a meeting that maybe his seat was starting to get hot. Um, People are starting to say his his seat's starting to get hot. If they lose to Detroit, his seat will get really, really hot. I just don't see it happening. So 21-13, the under, you know, Justin Fields doesn't play well because like I said, I think he does have issues beyond Matt Nagy. I think Nagy has issues in himself. Um, But this Detroit team's too bad and it's going to be 21-13. I'll ride with you, Parks. Next one here. Tennessee Titans travel to New York to take on the Jets. Look ahead here was six. This one opened at seven. It's looking like seven still across the board. The total of 48 has been bet down to 44 and a half, Parks. Um, do you think that the Jets can get anything going on offense here? Um, Tennessee defense, you know, isn't really, especially pass rush wise, isn't anything really to write home about. Um, I think, you, think you know, this is the chance, and this is really going to tell us a lot of what we need to know about not only the Jets, but Zach Wilson. A lot of people aren't, you know, it's three games. You're not going to say, you know, broken, bust, this or that. He makes a lot of um, errors that you say, if those become habits, like this is really bad. You know, things like throwing off of his back foot, um, really, like he has no pocket presence whatsoever. He didn't have any pocket presence at BYU, so it's like not necessarily surprising. It's just he got away with it, and things are just so... And it's the same with Justin Fields at Ohio State. Like, people don't realize. They say, you know... If you play well against Bama, and yes, Bama is as fast as it gets, but when people joke and say, you know, Bama would get blown out by NFL teams, they would. And Urban Meyer, like, completely admitted it. He said after he lost to the Houston Texans, literally the team that everyone thought was going to be the worst team in the NFL, he lost to them and said, it's like every team is Bama. That, like, that was the only team he played when he said that. So, like, and that's the thing. Every team is Bama. So when you're Justin Fields and it, you know, like, it's fast. Like, this thing is really fast. And for Zach Wilson, this thing is really, really fast. The good thing for Zach Wilson is that he's played Carolina, who, you know, we talk about Brian Burns is a huge breakout. Their defense looks awesome. He played New England, which is, you know, scheme. That's scary. Bill Belichick. And then he played Denver, which is Vic Fangio. You know, murderer's row, really murderer's row for, you know, a a rookie quarterback against, if you could pick, you know, Phil Snow is a rising defensive coordinator. You couldn't pick three worst defensive coordinators for him to go against to start his career. So you look at who, who is Tennessee's defensive coordinator I've talked about it Bowen who you know Mike Vrabel technically was a defensive coordinator and then he threw Bowen under the bus and said last season he was the defensive coordinator and then for some reason just promoted him from linebackers coach to defensive coordinator their defense has been pretty awful you know and um, the thing was with Indianapolis was I couldn't believe they weren't able to take advantage more and I think issues with Carson Wentz are serious so I think you know, like I said, this is the test. Like Zach Wilson has to be able to take advantage of some of these players. Um, Chris Fulton has started to look like uh, Christian Fulton from LSU started to look like a lockdown cornerback. You know, 
Uh, he had a pretty good game against uh, DK Metcalf. He had a pretty good game against Michael Pittman. He's starting to follow receivers around. You think he takes out Corey Davis, and all of a sudden this could be an Elijah Moore week. I've been saying it, you know, I said it in week one, and then he got injured, and the last two weeks haven't been great. But... He started, he had his highest target rate last week. Um, he's got the easiest cornerback matchup by far. Typically is going to see, um, whether it be Jackrabbit, who's like super slow nowadays, you know, and uh, the other cornerback in the slot who they just have a mess in the slot. So you look at Elijah Moore and you think, you know, if New York is able to put up any points whatsoever, he can do it. Um, the issue is, yeah, you know, a poor offensive line. Um, LaFleur, you know, the brother of, you know, other LaFleur, you just wonder, you know, how much of it is the offensive line? How much of it is he's putting Zach Wilson in really bad situations? Um, how much of it is Zach Wilson is just a renegade and just wants to get the hell out of the pocket the first second he can? You know, it's all a disaster. And that's where I think this is a, a learning experience. You know, and you can't lay it with Tennessee, in my opinion. It, that's where, like, I keep making the case for the Jets, making the case for the Jets. You just can't lay it with Tennessee because... AJ Brown sounds like he's going to be out. Julio sounds like he may be out. And the fact is, Julio looks, I wouldn't say washed, but I mean, he's slowing down big time. And it seems like Atlanta understood what he was and what he was becoming as they started to get rid of him. And I know Vrabel's called him out. And I just don't like what I'm seeing out of Julio with, you know, the Jets. And they, they don't have a great secondary, but they've actually been playing pretty good defense. They like to blitz teams. Um, and they've been a good run defense with um, Quinn and Williams kind of plugging up the middle. So you look at Tennessee, they're on the road. They're just coming off a huge division game. Um, and, uh, you know, they beat Seattle in the comeback mode and, you know, win a big division game. And now they're on the road in New York and their wide receivers are all banged up. I think the fact is, you know, ride Derrick Henry, just try and get out, out of there with a win, however it comes. So I think the under is in play because I just don't think Zach Wilson can take advantage of a Tennessee defense. I think we're going to see signs of growth from Zach Wilson. I think the biggest thing is, like, don't turn the ball over, man. Like, stop turning the freaking football over. You can't turn it over against Tennessee. I understand turning it over against Denver and, you know, New England. You can't do it against Tennessee. And if you do against Tennessee, they're going to run and run and run. And, you know, um, Chester Rogers, Nick Westbrook, or Tennessee's receivers, basically. You know, those those are the guys. And Cameron Batson is probably going to be the third guy if Julio is going to be out. So the fact is that you should be able to um, slow them down. And like I said, Tennessee just wants to get out of there. They're not going to play, you know, they're going to play slow, super slow, and they're going to run the football. Um, so I have it, you know, 24-17. It's hard to, you know, justify the Jets. But it is easy to say, you know, the Jets and the under are the right side. It's just whether you want to put money on it. I do not. But moving on to, to the next one here. Um, the Browns opened lane two and a half at the Vikings. Uh, definitely one of the best home field advantages here. Parks. Kirk Cousins has looked pretty good. This has been ticked down to two across the board. It is something I actually hit um, at two earlier today. Um, the total of 51 has been ticked up to 51 and a half parks. I like the Browns. Talk me out of it. Yeah, you know, it's tough because I think the biggest case for the Vikings is that you got Mike Zimmer versus Kevin Stefanski, and those two have been in meeting rooms for years and years. You know, Stefanski's from the Minnesota Vikings, if people don't know that. Um, he was, I think he was there before Zimmer, and Zimmer just kept him around because he really liked him and, um, you know, moved him up. Uh, first he was the tight ends coach, then he was the quarterbacks coach, then he was the offensive coordinator, and now he's the Browns head coach and all those things. I think Zimmer knows a lot about Stefanski, and I've talked about Zimmer in all-in performances is a stud. 
Um, you know, he covered against the Cardinals. He beats the Seattle Seahawks. When his back is against the wall, he's the man. Um, you know, he beat, uh, what's it called, with the Minnesota Miracle in the playoffs that year. And the next year, everyone was saying Stefanski is going to get the Vikings head coaching job and Zimmer is going to get fired. And then what did he do? He makes the playoffs and he beats Drew Brees on the road, um, which was super impressive. It was like a seven and a half point underdog um, and kept his job, you know. And then the next week he got blown out by San Fran because their team wasn't that good. It was like, it, it was an all-in performance against the New Orleans Saints. So Zimmer against a coach that was going to steal his job. Um, there is that. There is the other thing that Zimmer, I wouldn't say runs an old defense because his third down stuff is the best in the NFL, like by far. And there's like charts and stuff that you can see. When it gets the third down, Baker's done. And like they, <laughs> but Stefanski knows that and they're going to get them out of third down. And I think there's a lot of ways that Stefanski with his forward thinking offense and with, you know, Van Pelt, who I think is um, a potential head coach up and coming here. Um, I think they can, yeah, there you go. I think he can run the football, first of all, and just protect, you know, like I said, Stefanski knows more than anybody. If he gets Baker in third down, it's over. So completely avoiding third down is going to be the key here. And running the football is going to be the key here. And um, Minnesota's super good up front um, in terms of their defensive tackles. But they get exposed on the edges, especially in their running game, and especially with their linebackers. And I think outside runs are going to be the key to this game for Cleveland. And the other key to this game is that that um, Odell Beckham was freaking awesome against the uh, Bears. Like he was, he was back. Like he's really back for sure. And you could see, yeah. And I, I think taking those like uh, extra two games or something, you know, in terms of like, I think he could have played week one, but I think if he just like, I, th- I don't know if it would have been, you know, like he's a hundred percent back, but like, I think getting those extra two weeks getting, you know, I think help it helped that, you know, Jarvis is out like in the motivation, but um, you can really see like he stands out on tape, like, like literally nobody else, especially when you watch the all 22 and you can see the routes, like he glides, like he really does. And I call it pain. And like he calls it painting because he does like he glides. It's it's crazy to watch because he's so like fluid in his legs. Like he's in and out of breaks like so fast. It's unbelievable. And like he catches like he was catching things on the sidelines. They were moving him all the way around. He had a handoff. Um, he's the guy that, you know, in DFS, I'm going to put a lot on. And I think he's going to go over Like he had a, a huge air yard total. And Jalen Johnson, like I said, first off, they weren't following him with Jalen Johnson. And he was cooking Kendall Vildor like for three straight possessions. And Vildor, he gave like a 10-yard reception, and then he created a PI, and they just said, enough is enough. We're going to put Jalen Johnson, who's a really good cornerback. Um, and Odell still ripped him a few, but the thing is that Cleveland or Chicago still has a really good pass rush, and Baker has still had issues. So, um, But I think Odell, especially against these cornerbacks, you know, Patrick Peterson and Bashad Breland, um, they're just giving it up to everybody. And Odell, like I said, he looks so good, and he's getting deep down the football field here that, like I said, I think it's been, I don't know the last time Odell's been this healthy, or like I said, I've, has ran the routes that he's ran. So, um, big Odell week, big Odell week for sure. And then, um, for Minnesota, the thing is that they're going to have to get back to the running game as well. Because like I said, with Cleveland, if they, if you let them tee off on you in the passing game, it doesn't matter, you know, if you have a mobile quarterback, because Miles Garrett is going to chase that dude down and Miles Garrett, you know, plays Jason Peters, who's 39, but now four and a half sacks later, he gets, um, you know, Rashad Hill, the backup left tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. Truly, you know, one of the weaknesses on the Minnesota Vikings is going to line up against Miles Garrett for the majority of the game. And the other thing, you know, Joe Barry, the defensive coordinator, does a good job of moving Clowney around, moving Garrett around, getting the matchups he wants, but this one's super easy because it's the left tackle. So um, I think that's a big time issue for Kirk Cousins, but like I said, they're going to run the ball and they're going to put extra tight ends on the field because the Browns, um, like I said, against 
Justin Fields unleashed uh, three safeties with Grant Delpit, Ronnie Harrison, and um, what's his name, John Johnson. You know, just three really talented and you know veteran um, in terms of John Johnson. And then um, you know, like I said, Ronnie Harrison from Bama and Grant Delpit was one of the captains at LSU. Like guys that can fly around. And then with that, they put JOK in the middle as a um, linebacker. And when they do that, they're just so fast. Like that's a that's such a fast defense, and they can cover the middle of the field better than anybody. And you can tell that they drafted that, that those players for Lamar Jackson. You know, they're in a di- uh, freaking division with, I mean, Travis Kelsey too, but Lamar Jackson, like they want to defend the middle of the field with speed and they can, but the thing is Minnesota, if you know, you pack them in tight and you put, they have multiple tight ends, you put your multiple tight ends on the field and you run at them. And at least it's first off, it slows the game down. It keeps Miles Garrett off of you. It takes, they have to put, um, you know, Anthony Walker sounds like he's out. So I guess it would be talkie talkie. They put him in the box now. Um, and it, that makes things a lot easier for, you know, if Dalvin Cook's healthy, that's great, but Madison looks great anyways. So I think, you know, the thing is, between um, Chubb being able to get to the outside and Minnesota being able to run the ball and Zimmer and Stefanski being familiar with each other, I go under. But it is, like you said, I think that the fact is that... um, Cleveland just has more talent overall. Um, I think for the most part, especially on the offensive lines, um, I know Jedrick Wills has been banged up, but he's, you know, he misses practice every week and plays every single week. And he's been finding, you know, he had, you know, uh, did give up a sack to Robert Quinn, but still they don't really, you know, Minnesota does have, um, you know, Daniel, Daniel Hunter and, uh, that's a pretty good matchup, but still the Browns offensive line is so good that, yeah, um, like I said, 27-24 is how I have it, um, yeah, in Cleveland, but it is close, and I do think this is a great game for, you know, just learning about who both of these teams are, really, so it'll be a good test. All right, Parks, looking at the next one here, I'm interested to get your thoughts. Um, we got the Colts making the trip down to South Beach to take on the Dolphins. Dolphins opened lane two and a half, um, has been ticked back to two even one and a half in some spots. Under's been hammered here for 45, has been bet down to 42 and a half. Parks, I think I like the Dolphins here. Um, we got what? Brissett still a quarterback. Um, I mean, that game against the, that screen in the end zone for the safety should never have been thrown. That was embarrassing. And then that, that just got the ball rolling. But I think I still like them at like their defense against the Colts here. Um, how do you see this one going? Yeah, I think I like Miami too. And I think, yeah, I mean, they really could have, should have, would have beat the Raiders. They did cover. That was good. I was on Miami for that one. Oh, I, had, I had a plus four ticket. Was, <laughs> yeah, uh, that, was a, that was such a disaster because you kept, you know, they get it and then you want them not to get the two-point conversion because you just want it to end yeah. and then they get the two-point conversion you're like well now what because you know in overtime car just throws one up and they lose by six and you feel like yeah it's crazy so that was like a roller coaster of emotions because you're like you know first you're like dive in brissette score the touchdown and then you're like please don't get this brissette you idiot so yeah that was that was a tough one but either way they like i said they came up with it and it is you know brian flores with his back against the wall the fact is that both teams are backs against the wall um but i think we're starting to learn the issue with Tua Tagovailoa is that the spread didn't move at all from you know t- from Tua to Jacoby Brissett, and they covered. You know, <laughs> so that's a serious. <laughs> it tells you what a lot of people think about Tua at this point. And you know, I started to read a lot of stuff about because I was betting. You know, yeah, look ahead was two and a half too. Preseason look ahead was one and a half. So yeah, nothing. Yeah, exactly. So that's what I'm saying. And you know, the fact is that, um, like I said, I started to read stuff before I started to bet into it that. Um, 
a lot of people, like, not a lot of people, but there were people saying that Jacoby Brissett was making this a competition and that the Miami Dolphins, you know, front office necessarily, like, was kind of holding it back. And that a lot of people in the locker room were saying, you know, like, is our backup better than our starter? And, like, Brissett, like, showed up as if this was a competition. Like, he wasn't helping Tua and things of that nature. Like, he was competing with Tua. And a lot of people were talking about that. So I feel like Brissett is almost, like, additioning to keep this job. And, you know, we've talked about it with the Dolphins that, like, all the pieces, not all the pieces, because we talked about their offensive line, and that's been the huge issue. And the issue with Brissett is he holds on to the football too long. Um, but all the pieces in terms of Waddle, who he relied on heavily in that game, um, Will Fuller, who just had his first game back last week, and Devontae Parker, and then they have multiple tight ends. You know, there's ability to throw the football for Jacoby Brissett. And the fact is that Tua, we were saying, well, Tua pushed the ball down the field this year. Tua pushed the ball down the field. And then, you know, for one week we said, well, you know, Will Fuller was out. And it was the Patriots. And then, you know, he gets injured. But now Brissett is pushing the football down the field. And they are, you know, moving the football better with him than you know, the other guys. So you start to think, you know, is Miami potentially getting a little bit slept on here against an Indianapolis team that, yeah, you know, they're 0-3, they're super desperate. And, you know, uh, the thing with Indianapolis is they played, um, well, was was it Arizona? They, then they played a Seattle. Was it Seattle and Arizona? I think so. And then they played Tennessee. So those are, you know, obviously tough games for the Indianapolis Colts. And then they, you know, get potentially a relief game for this. It's just the fact is when you look at the Indianapolis Colts, I, I thought that they could potentially start off 0-3 and, and write this ship. Or I thought they were going to start off 0-2, beat the Titans, and then write the ship. They went Seahawks, Rams, Rams that was it. Titans. I knew it was an NFC West team. Yeah, it was close one, 27-24. Yeah, so, but still, like, yeah, they play against the Seahawks and the Rams. That's like, that's as bad as in, you know, start to a season as you want. And then, yeah, they get um, a really tough game. And it, Titans can run on Yeah, you. and Carson Wentz has these sprained ankles. But you start to say, okay, it's a there's going to be a time to buy low in the Indianapolis Colts. Is it this week? Probably not, because like I said, you're pretty, you're pretty much buying low or buying at the right price for Miami. So it's not like there's, you're not getting extra points out of Indianapolis being 0-3 here and Beyond that, when you look at their offensive line and you look at their situation, you know, Costanzo retires and they sign, you know, Fisher, who just tore his Achilles, and it's a freaking miracle that Fisher's playing, but Fisher isn't that great right now, you know, and Fisher's getting beat, so that's not good. Quentin Nelson sounds like he's out this week. That's bad. Kelly has been in and out of the lineup since summer. That's awful. Um, your right guard, Glowinski, you know, everyone was saying, well, Glowinski's the relevation, you know, I can't believe Glowinski. Now it's starting to come back to earth, and your right tackle is out for this game. So, you know, and he's been out. So, and the fact is that Carson Wentz has, you know, comes in, gets injured with his foot. Then he gets COVID and he misses, you know, a week or so before the preseason. So you say, I think it was what, five weeks before the preseason or five weeks before the season started, none of these guys have gelled together and then they get thrown in for three weeks. So we're talking about eight weeks that, and they still haven't practiced together because like I said, they're, you know, they just got their left tackle back. Nelson's out, the right tackle's out. And Wentz is, still has two spring ankles. So it's like, what do you got for the Indianapolis Colts? And what are you going to do? And it all just fell apart for them. You know, they kept trying to thread it together and thread it together. And, um, you know, it was Costanzo and T.Y. Hilton. Like they knew Costanzo and T.Y. Hilton were basically like Costanzo retired. T.Y. Hilton is back, but like you knew he was going to be washed and they really didn't do anything to replace either of them. And, um, you know, the good thing for them is that they can decide in a few weeks here to bench Carson Wentz and they're going to have a potentially a high draft pick. But I keep thinking, you know, the AFC South is so bad and like they're going to probably turn it around at some point. It's just like I said, all these pieces aren't coming together. And then, you know, their safeties. I, I kept saying, you know, that's incredible for everyone. 
Lose that I don't mind Julian Blackman and Kari Willis. I just think, you know, it's a fact that when they're playing in this cover two system and they're keeping everything in front of them, that works out. When all of a sudden teams start splitting the seams with those two and Tyler Lockett gets wide open deep and Cooper Cup gets wide open deep. And you're like I kind of said against Tennessee, not necessarily, Julio actually had a decent game, but you're starting to see, um, like I said, what Chester Rogers, Nick Westbrook, you know, um, these are the guys that are not necessarily torching the Indianapolis Colts, but yeah, kind of in some ways. And yeah, Willis and Blackman are having poor seasons. Rhodes, huge. PI. Um, he looks, you know, slow. Looks like his, you know, he had a one redemption season without Zimmer, and now all of a sudden, you know, he's looking bad. Rocket Sim can't keep his hands off anybody, and Kenny Moore was supposed to be their best guy, but he's struggling in the slot. And now you say. Kenny Moore can't hang with Jalen Waddle, who, you know, like I said, he got 13 targets. It looked, it didn't go for anything, but the Indianapolis secondary is completely overrated. Um, it just appears that way. And their pass rush, you know, Buckner's pretty good. Quiddy Pay's still starting to get the hang of it. I don't know if they can take advantage of an offensive line that um, I think for the better, um, they pushed Jesse Davis out of right tackle and put Liam Eikenberg. And I know Eikenberg, I don't think he's a long-term right tackle. And I think, I think what they need to do is put him at right guard and put Hunt at right tackle, but they got Hunt at right guard and him at right tackle. But either way, I think getting Jesse Davis out of, and I know he's at guard now and they should put Kinley in at guard so they can run the ball better. But either way, I think they're fixing their offensive line in some ways with personnel decisions. And yeah, you just look at Indianapolis. And the other thing is Jacoby Brissett, the Indianapolis Colts were six and two with Jacoby Brissett. And that's where I keep saying, you know, where did it fall apart? It fell apart when they played the Steelers and lost to them with Duck Hodges or whatever. Um, and uh, what's his name? Jacoby uh, sprained his ACL, MCL. They were six and two and they lost to the Steelers and he sprained his MCL and they you know they did get back to the playoffs with Phillip Rivers but they've just been trying to piece it together since and it looks like it's falling apart all over them and that is why Miami I think they're gonna stick around in this like I don't view Brissett and Tua as like oh well they're out their quarterback they're screwed this season I view it as like the same way I would view Miami and Indianapolis I think that there's just so many issues with their offensive line. Like I said, I don't have enough faith in any of their secondary players to bounce back because it was almost like they're, all their secondary players have been playing above their head for two full seasons. And I knew Anthony Walker in the middle. I know Darius Leonard had a pick. I just feel like he's so much more, not unhinged, but like he needs he needs somebody in the middle to help him out. And I think, you know, uh, Roquan Smith is better than uh, Darius Leonard if people haven't realized it yet. And like we all thought it before the draft and now it's true for sure when you see him without Anthony Walker, which like I keep saying, when Walker comes back for the Browns and they now the JOK is there and they run three safeties, that defense is serious. So that's awesome for them. But yeah, 26-20 Miami over uh, Indianapolis. Jacoby Brissett gets revenge. Um, you know, fantasy-wise, I don't like it. And, you know, uh, Pittman against Xavier Howard, Pascal against Jones. I just don't like any of that. I think, um, like I kind of talk about Flores, they don't get pressure whatsoever with their front four. It's all scheme. But that's Carson Wentz plays hero ball, and he just stands back there. And he... It doesn't seem like he knows what he's looking at for the most part. And it's a lot of, I think, like when you go to a new team and you're out with COVID and you're missing with your ankle injury and you can't get behind your offensive line and you have no time with your receivers, I think Flores throws the house at him and he... Like he's been pretty bad all season, continues to be bad. Uh, 26 20, uh, Indianapolis over Miami or Miami over Indianapolis. I was thinking Brissett, uh, but yeah, Brissett's on Miami now. Yeah, Parks, Washington, Miami, Hammer in both of those. All right, we're looking at here Parks, Carolina Panthers traveling to Dallas, take on the Cowboys without CMC. Parks, who we got Chubba Hubbard back there. Um, opened, look at his three and a half, opened to five and a half because of. Caffrey, uh, that has been bet down a whole point to four and a half total. 
of 15 and a half has been moved up just a 52, 51 and a half across the board there. Parks, how do you see this one going? Yeah, um, like you kind of said, beyond JC Horn or beyond McCaffrey, JC Horn's out, so that's really devastating. But they just traded for CJ Henderson, which is super interesting because he had a good first couple games with the Jags to start his career, then gets injured. Um, and then Urban Meyer comes to town and it just doesn't seem to work out. And I mean, I didn't think CJ Henderson was a top 10 pick, um, but the Jaguars did. And like, to first off, the trade is top 10 pick a year after he's gone to only get a third round pick and Dan Arnold back. That's just, um, it speaks to, you know, just who the Jaguars are and what they're doing right now. You know, not even to try to get more out of CJ Henderson. But I, I really, whenever, uh, whenever CJ Henderson gets integrated in Dante Jackson at corner and if they could get JC Horn back, man, their defense could really be be good. It's so sad that J.C. Horn got injured and smart that they traded for C.J. Henderson. And it's going to be interesting to see how quick they can integrate him in. They said he was going to play the slot. And the fact with Carolina is that they play just a ton of man. And it makes sense when you have JC Horn, you want to play man because he, I'm telling you, he was his first couple games. Like he was looking like he was going to be one of the better players. Um, and he looks really good And him and certain both look really good. And it was interesting that, you know, Carolina and Denver passed on the quarterbacks and, you know, they're two undefeated teams and certain and Horn looked awesome. So, you know, sometimes you do just have to, you know, not go, you know, you have to look at things in a vacuum sometimes, or you have to look at things like context and everything in that nature. But either way, like I said, Carolina, um, it's great that they get C.J. Henderson, and they, I think that they can get him involved because, like I said, if you just play man, it's not that bad. And here's the make how you make a case for Carolina. You say first off, Dak Prescott is much better against zone than man. Um, he's way better when you know when his receivers are screaming across the middle, and he can see between the zones, and he can lead his men between the zones. He's way better when he sees his guys than when he you know when they're locked up on in man. So um, he's typically played a lot better uh, zone than man. And, uh, CD is better against zone than man. Cooper has typically actually been okay against man, so he'll be fine. And, you know, like I said, he would have been, you know, potentially JC. Actually, JC plays the slot sometimes, so he probably would have followed CD. Um, So Dante Jackson will get Cooper, so Cooper will be fine. But... You think for the most part, uh, Dallas really wants to slow this game down and run the football. The thing is, you know, uh, Carolina's tough up front, and um, they're missing their right tackle, Dallas is, and Brian Burns typically runs, lines up on the right tackle. Their center's their worst position, and Derek Brown lines up right over the center, and, you know, those are their two top ten picks that they put a lot into. The other thing you say, um, Dallas just played Monday night football, and now they play Carolina, who was just playing Thursday night football. So Carolina not only gets the extra days from Thursday to Sunday, they actually get the extra days all the way through Monday night into Tuesday to play, you know, Dallas here. And the other thing that I just thought was funny was that um, Joe Brady was the one who got Dan Quinn fired when he went into uh when he went into Atlanta last season with Teddy Bridgewater and DJ Moore and they just hung points up on Dan Quinn's terrible defense and the very next day because Carolina you know who finishes 4-11 and just went into Atlanta and stomped his defense so um, he goes in there and beats them so I obviously like Joe Brady against Dan Quinn although Dan Quinn obviously it's a different defense personnel wise and I think Quinn is a better defensive coordinator than a head coach um, but I think you know a lot of those things are pointing in my thoughts to Carolina with extra rest with a potential coaching advantage here. Um, 
I kind of like them. But yeah, like you said, you know, you lose J.C. Horn, you lose McCaffrey. Potentially that's an issue. But, you know, maybe it's just that, you know, you, you're getting a little more value for a team that, you know, maybe the spread should be three or potentially lower because Carolina is playing so well. And yeah, Dak's been playing great. But, you know, Sam Darnold, he does still make that, you know, one mistake here and there. Um, but he has been playing really well. And I think I keep going back to, I think Joe Brady um, is going to be a head coach at some point. He's been really good with what he's able to do, not only, you know, with Teddy, but Sam, you know, he's revitalized, in my opinion, two careers already, you know, with Sam Darnold. So that's awesome for him. But like I said, Dan Quinn has a better defense now. And Trayvon Diggs um, sometimes does give it up in terms of, actually, this season he's been really shut down, and I got to give him respect for that. But his key is that he's a ball hawk, and he's a former receiver. His brother, Stefan Diggs, um, he can find the football, and he makes really, like, he picks six, you know, Jalen Hurts. Um, he had a big uh, pick against, uh, what's his name, Tom Brady. And, you know, the thing with him, though, is that you would say he's probably going to shut down DJ Moore, and he has shut down some big-name receivers. Um, Mike Evans, you know, that was the big, he got shut out in week one, basically. But where the Bucks typically line, you know, Mike Evans on one side, and they can run him deep, they move more around, and the, he didn't follow Devontae Smith when they moved Devontae Smith around. So I don't think Moore is going to have a huge game, because I think for the most part, Diggs will play on him. But I think there's enough to where, and you know, Sam looks at more, looks at more, looks at more, you know, more than um, Anderson and Marshall, way more than Anderson and Marshall, you know, um, which is awesome for DJ Moore. You know, he's going off this season, potentially having one of his best seasons, and he's already had an awesome start to his career. But I don't want to play him in DFS. You could take a shot on Robbie Anderson because he gets the Anthony Brown matchup for the most part. But I think the key is going to be Terrace Marshall, who, you know, is second in targets behind DJ Moore over Robbie Anderson, who Sam Darnold has always attacked the slot, going back to USC with Juju, you know. Um, so Terrace Marshall could potentially be that, you know, that Juju for Sam Darnold that he's always kind of had. And the other thing is that they traded, like I said, Dan Arnold for Tommy Tremble, um, or because they have Tommy Tremble, their backup tight end, who they drafted from Notre Dame, who moves around and does a lot of things and really helps as a blocker. And I think that's going to help the issue of the loss of Christian McCaffrey is that they can still run the ball. They still have the scheme. They still have all these playmakers that they can utilize in the passing game. And then, yeah, the issue with... Um with uh, Phil Snow's gonna like I said he's gonna play man against Dak and that's how you want to play Dak. But if 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 C.J. Henderson isn't ready and like I said you know who's gonna defend C. Uh, C.D. Lamb? Really nobody. And Dante Jackson is you know gonna take on Cooper. That's not a great matchup. So I think Dallas has you know good matchups here and they can move the football. But I think for the most part and I think both teams want to play slow. I think Joe Brady has a good idea of how to contain pace and I think he knows that he doesn't want Sam Darnold to shoot out with Dak. Prescott, he, he knows Sam Darnold, and he knows he can move the football to compete with Dak Prescott, but you don't want to shoot out with Dak Prescott. So I think Brady will play slow, and I think they're going to force Dallas with light boxes to run the football at him, and I think that they, they have the speedy linebackers in Jeremy Chin to where Pollard won't be the fix, Zeke will be the fix, so I think they ride Zeke heavily, um, but yeah, I think, like I said, Carolina can win enough in the in the trenches, and um, I think they could pull this win off because of, I think the huge thing is the Thursday night, whereas Dallas played Monday. Monday night. So, um, yeah, I like Carolina here, 28-24. All right, I'm in Parks. Next one here, Parks, we got the G-Men traveling to New Orleans for this one against Saints. Um, open 6.5 has been moved to 7.5. Some books still hanging back here at 7. Jameis is averaging Parks like 150 passing yards a game. Um, you know, he gets praised five touchdowns in week one, even with just like 170-something. Uh, loses the Panthers 26 to 7. James's fault, you know, then they beat the Patriots last week, so like 100 and uh, 
less than 150 last week. Um, you know, get some praise here again, Parks. How do you see this one going? Um, he's kind of just has to be a game manager to beat the Giants here. For sure. And there is definitely, you know, beat the Giants is one thing, but will he cover the spread? I would definitely be making the case for the Giants in this game. Because like you just said, like they can't score enough typically to beat teams like that. You know, how did they beat the New England Patriots in the way that they did? Um, first off, the Patriots have issues at right tackle and pressure gets in Mac Jones's face and he gets hit as he throws. Yeah, through his first pick. And literally the pick, um, it puts the ball in the one yard line for the Saints. One yard, t- or it wasn't the one yard line. It was like the 10. Either way, uh, ten yard touchdown, seven seven nothing Saints right there, and then uh, the Patriots run down and get a field goal, and then the next play, or then it goes to halftime. First play out of the half, um, Mac Jones throws it to Johnny Smith. He bobbles it, pick six, and all of a sudden, uh, I think it was seventeen to seven from there, or something along those lines, or it was twenty one, it was twenty one three from there, and that that game's you know. When you give up two 14 points like that and it goes from 7 nothing Saints to 21-3, basically just off of two interceptions, just changes the whole entire game. And yeah, that's where Mac Jones all of a sudden you know, goes from a game manager and the Patriots go from run first team to now the Saints were literally, you know, they were stealing the Mac Jones game plan of, you know, play this game slow, run the football, everything like that. And they are the slowest team in the NFL, the New Orleans Saints. So you look and you say, you know, they're still missing their center. They're still missing Teron Armstead, their left tackle. They still don't have receivers. And you look at the New York Giants and you say, Adoree Jackson, um, James Bradbury. Uh, they have a bunch of guys in the slot. Uh, they have safeties. That, you know, it looks like Jabril Peppers is you know struggling, but they still have you know plenty of safeties that they can move around. Uh, the kid from Bama McKinney, you know, things along that those lines. So they should be able to. And like like you said, New Orleans hasn't been able to score on anybody. When you actually break it down, like they haven't been able to move the football. And the other funny thing with Jameis was uh, he has as many uh, passing yards in three games as he averaged his last season with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in one game. So you had his three games up. That's the his total is the same as uh, his per game average the year before. That's crazy. And that's exactly what the Saints are doing. And it is, I don't think Sean Payton sh- trusts Jameis at all. He threw that one touchdown where he was like basically getting sacked and threw it up for grabs and Callaway caught it. And Jameis is giving everybody a high five. And Sean Payton is just gleaming at him like, you mother effer, you are such an idiot for throwing that pass. As it, like the result was a touchdown, but Sean Payton was heated. So like he isn't going to let let it lose. Didn't he throw like, for like over like 5,100 yards? Who, Jameis? Yeah, yeah, 19. Yeah, for sure. And when you watch... People forget parts. Yeah. But when you watch the All-22, like he sometimes has guys open. He's... I think Sean Payton has him scared out of his mind to throw it deep. Like he's taking the check down no matter what. And when if the coverage isn't what he thinks he is, ch- take the check down. And he's throwing the ball away a ton, which you know he just never did. And it's like good for him that he's doing it. But I think there's like a learning process, and it's almost like not that he's too. It's I guess you could say he's probably too conservative at this point, or like and even I think Sean Payton is like restraining him almost too much. And it is hard. Like I said, you know the Giants have played pretty well defensively for the majority. It's just like. Like their their offense hasn't really helped them in some ways, and then sometimes their defense has gotten you know ha- has gotten beat. But you look at this Saints team, like I said, with their poor offensive line, with the cornerbacks, and there's nobody to throw to for the Saints, and you just think that they should be able to you know stop the run. They have you know Dexter Lawrence, they have Leonard Williams. If they stop the run, then it is you know Daniel Jones has 
you know, been fine for the most part, especially compared to a guy like Jameis on the other side. And you think they lost um, Slayton, and I don't know if Shepard's going to play. Galladay's starting to get a little more involved. He's been pretty bad this season, though. and uh, He was a stay away for me, and I, I'm glad about that. And Tony, they're trying to get Tony the football more. And Evan Ingram fumbled last week. But you think, you know, at the end of the day, Galladay, Tony, and Evan Ingram were kind of their guys. And those, you know, week one, it was Slayton and Shepard. So now that it's kind of moving to those guys. And the other thing was that Saquon, uh, you know, seven catches for about 60 yards, had 50 yards and a touchdown on the ground. Um, looks like he's back, got that, you know, those days off and everything. I know the Saints have a great run defense, and Demario Davis looks freaking awesome, but you just think with, you know, with this Giants offense, their backs against the wall, 0-3, you say that the Saints are completely overrated at 2-1. and Really, you know, that Giants, the Packers game is clearly looking like, you know, just a throw-it-out game. And like I said, the Patriots some ways got lucky there. And it comes down to, you know, basically in every game, if Jameis can protect the football, he's going to keep his team in the game because Peyton has a smart game plan and their defense is good enough. Their cornerbacks are pretty good. But Daniel Jones, you know, as long as he doesn't turn the football over, every time, you know, the Saints play a team that doesn't turn the football over, they lose. It's just they capitalize off of turnovers and pick sixes and things like that. So it's hard to say that the Saints, you know, uh, the other thing is that they're coming off of... um, uh, they were traveling since before the preseason, and they didn't play any home games because of the hurricane. And uh, it usually does happen that the first week you come back from a long road trip of you know two or three weeks, you typically struggle the next week because that whole week you're kind of adjusting life back to home. You're you know getting back with your family. You're you know doing all those things that you have to do when you come back home from a road trip. So um, the Saints are coming back home. So I like the Giants here. I think they have a poten- the chance to pull off the upset. I don't think when you break down the metrics, you say the way the Giants played against. Washington, they should have beat Washington, and they beat Atlanta. You know, they straight up beat Atlanta. They moved the ball up and down the field. Jason Garrett is a terrible offensive coordinator, especially in the red zone, and it cost them a game against Atlanta because they kicked two red zone. Um, field goals early in the game to go up 6 nothing instead of, you know, if you go up 14 nothing on Atlanta, Atlanta scored 17 in the game, it's over, but you go up 6 nothing and then you go up 14-7 to because you get to 2 and then you leave the door open and you lose 17-7 to because you don't know how to put a game away. So it's like, I don't, I don't see New York in that spot. I see them on the road as an underdog, keeping this game far less than a touchdown and, yeah, really competing and, you know, I think it's going to be a field goal game on either side. I have it 17-14 uh, uh, with the Saints potentially winning, but I really think, I think New York is live as hell here. All right, Parks, I'll get into that one. We got um, another one here, 1 o'clock, Parks. Look ahead. Was well, 6.5. Chiefs visiting Philly. Um, that has been moved to 7 across the board. The total of 53 has been ticked up 54.5. Parks, can the Chiefs get back on the wagon here? Yeah, I honestly think so. And I've been fading the Chiefs for a really long time, and they've been 1 in 13 against the spread, and it almost seems like there's no reason to stop fading them. But when you run into a team like Philadelphia, it's time to stop fading them and it's time to you know jump on the Chiefs wagon here and it makes a lot of sense you know and I think that a lot of people are starting to realize that the Chiefs aren't you know and I think long term I have more issues with them long term than I do short term I think short term they're going to be fine but I don't think you know especially in that division with the Broncos and the Raiders and the Chargers like I think they're in they're in a they have issues um you know like I kind of talk about they don't have a lot of playmakers on offense other than Kelsey and Hill but this team Philadelphia I've talked about it for a while now that early in the season I was betting on them against Atlanta saying you know there's good in the trenches and they're old in the trenches and once they start to fall apart in the trenches this whole thing is going to fall apart and they're going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL and it slowly is starting to happen you know uh, my lot of their left tackle 
is maybe going to come back, but he missed the game against Dallas. Huge issue. Um, you know, they already lost Brandon Brooks for the season. They do have Landon Dickerson stepping in, but, you know, he's coming off an ACL. He's a rookie. Um, hasn't been too great. And then they just lost Sayamalu, their right guard. So now they're on their backup left guard and their backup right guard, their backup left tackle. And, um, and you know, Kelsey's getting super old. The other Kelsey, you know, the center. So, you know, you look at their offensive line and say their strength was their offensive line, and now it looks pretty bad. Then you look at their defensive line, and you say Brandon Graham's out, and all of a sudden teams are starting to run on them. And, you know, that's what I kept saying is that, you know, these guys are old, and they're relying heavily on their, you know, the defensive line depth and things of that nature. And now they're... Jay Wobble looks good there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he's like he's like the best freaking player in the NFL right now. It's unbelievable. And that is great because, uh, you know, Creed Humphrey uh, is a rookie and, you know, everything like that. And he's been playing pretty strong, but, you know, uh, yeah. Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, that's all they have now, though. It's really, you know... Uh, Barnett's okay and Sweat's okay but they really like and the thing is that now they don't have any depth because of all the injuries to their defensive line and so they're really you know they were a team that they won with those lines and now when those lines aren't elite you're really going to have issues and that's going to probably come to fruition against you know Kansas City and the thing is that I've talked about it for a while the Chiefs revamped their offensive line but they added a bunch of run blockers for the most part you know Brown Orlando Brown was first off, you know, Oklahoma was running the football and then he comes and blocks for Lamar Jackson. You know, I don't know if that's a a perfect mesh for Patrick Mahomes dropping back and dropping back and everything like that. You know, um, even their right tackle, even their guard Thune, you know, the Patriots were such a run heavy team. Everything like that, you know, you were thinking that they should be able to run the ball better. And now against the Chargers, who the Chargers are this too high defense, um, talk about it all the time. They bend but don't break. They uh, have tight fronts, but then they play in the box to encourage you to run and they avoid the explosive plays and that's how they shut down you know Kansas City and everything like that and that's been the defense you know it's Vic Fangio all the way you know through and through and everything like that what's his name Jonathan Gannon the Colts or the Philadelphia defensive coordinator is he's running the same stuff that the Chargers are running that Patrick Mahomes just saw last week so and they just ran the ball really successfully against Clyde Edwards Hilaire the issue is that you know Philadelphia doesn't have Derwin James they have Anthony Harris you know, that's a big difference um, you know things like like that and you know they don't have Kenneth Murray they have Alex Singleton um so that's where it starts to be like you can run the same stuff as the Chargers but you're not going to get by the way that the Chargers can get by so I think Kelsey first off has just a huge game but I think it goes right back to Clyde and I think you know the issue with go- trusting Clyde and DFS is Hargrave and Cox you know you can't just run right at them but they are just so weak everywhere else and they're inviting the run because it is like they're relying on those two and nobody else to defend the run so I think you know and it's Andy Reid against his old team here, but I think they get they get right back in a big way here. Um, and then uh, you look at the Philadelphia offense, you think, like I said, they're losing in the trenches here. J- uh, Jalen Hurts can't read the football field. Like, it's a serious... And, like, you can tell. And that's the thing is that I was so scared the whole freaking offseason that, like, why were... They're so in on Watson. They're loading up on draft picks for next year. They trade for Gardner Minshew. They have Joe Flacco. It's like, they don't think Jalen Hurts is any good. And you look at it, um, everyone's saying, you know, Ben Roethlisberger doesn't throw the football over the middle of the field. Neither does Jalen Hurts, but Jalen Hurts has the arm strength. He just can't read over the middle of the field. And every time he throws over the middle of the field, he throws an interception. So it's like, he's going to eventually get pulled out of this thing. And they just don't have, because they can't rely on their run game. They're trying to rely on their, well, they really weren't trying to rely on their run game. And that's the other thing. Everyone's like, you know, oh, just run the ball. You never have to run the ball. You never have to run the ball. Just throw it every time. You know, the stats say, the stats say. It's like, until you see, like I said, the Bills and the Philadelphia 
Eagles are the two most pass-heavy game plans of the entire season, and they lost to the Steelers and the Cowboys, you know, big time. Like, they both just were awful. Because you can't just give your game plan away. You have to have some sort of, like, some sort of other, like, factor. You can't just throw it every single play. And that's where you look at Philadelphia and you say, you know, it's starting to fall apart, and they already, and, you know, they only beat Atlanta, and then, you know, they should have beat San Fran, but... Mainly, Jalen Hurts made a ton of struggles, and uh, their head coach made a bunch of questionable play calls, and then they come into Dallas and really just get their butts kicked and really kind of shown out. And that's where I think, you know, I think Kansas City takes advantage in a big way. So 35-17 here. Devontae Smith against Mike Hughes. I think because Jalen Hurts in these garbage time things and Jalen Hurts is probably good for DFS he keeps having good fantasy days I just don't think he's a good quarterback and he's going to put himself in garbage time because like I said he can't throw over the middle of the field and that's truly where you have to beat the Chiefs but the other thing is you have to run the football and like I said they completely abandoned it last week so I don't know if they're going to be able to run it and I think Kansas City gets up on them and it's just then they then they're able to run it and it's just going to be hard for Philadelphia and I think it's going to start to fall apart for Philadelphia here all right, Parks, um, last 1 o'clock game here, largest spread of the season so far. The Bills at home against the Texans laying 16-and-a-half. There's 115-and-a-half still out there, Parks. Um, are they going to cover, I guess, is the question. Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure, and I wouldn't bet it because you think, you know, the Bills coming off of um, put up, what, 30 points in two straight games, you know, Miami and Washington, two big defenses. Um, could they continue to put up, you know, 30 points every game, potentially? But you just think that, you know, Houston with the extra time off, um, Davis Mills looked okay, you know, to kind of move the football. But I do think the Bills are in for an offensive, you know, they're going to be able to score. It's just, you know, can they score enough to win, you know, like... I guess 35-17 does it, but that's like that's kind of where you need to keep Houston under 17, and I'm not sure it's like you really need to in some ways, but you look at Josh Allen, it looks like he's back, and I think they learned their lesson against the Steelers that you can't just go empty and throw it every play, and the thing that you saw in the past two games is Zach Moss took over for Devin Singletary, and Dawson Knox is on the field a ton as an extra tight end who can help chip block, and um, it's going to help Dawson Knox's fantasy value. Um, I picked him up as a second tight end just because, you know, they're throwing they're still gonna and you can throw the ball be pass heavy but you have to have the threat to run the ball to you know keep teams honest so now that they're able to be they're able to put Dawson Knox in to create the presence of running the football now they're throwing the football to Dawson Knox because they're so pass heavy that Dawson Knox is all of a sudden a pretty good fantasy value um but the thing is this is Diggs this week I feel like it has to be um he's like third in uh unrealized air yards uh behind Valdez Scaling and I forget the other guy but Valdez Scaling's unrealized air yards are just crazy because he just can't seem him and Rogers just don't connect on anything but Diggs and Allen can't connect on anything and the reality is uh he just hit Sanders um for a, a ton of scores last week he had Beasley going last week uh Houston plays more man than they play zone and they're just going to sit on under routes and I think Diggs just takes off here and that's kind of all I have to it is like I would play Diggs uh I think like I said Sanders it, they were going to Sanders they've just been trying to get Sanders and now that they got him I think it changes the coverages to keep it off of Diggs and now I think Allen and Diggs get on the same page here um Cooks you got to play Cooks in fantasy because he you know in garbage time like I said you know they could easily um just come right back and Cooks has splash play potential and he's a pretty good receiver as it is so and Mills is going to lock 
knock on him. So Cooks is fine. But then, yeah, Mark Ingram's is their running back, and you don't want to do that. And the Bills' defense is starting to play pretty well. So I think, like I said, I think it is like a 35-17 type of game. It's just once you're in that, like, 35-17, it's tough to, you know, lay 17 points with that. Yeah, Parks, moving on to, uh, I guess, the story here, Parks, of the 4 o'clock windows, the NFC West here. First one, um, Cardinals traveling to L.A. to take on the Rams. Look ahead was L.A. Lane 6, open to 4.5, hasn't moved. Um, the total has been moved up, though, open 50. We're looking some even 55.5 parks. Um, battle of the NFC West unbeaten, um, two top five offices. How do you see us going? Yeah, I think like this is one that the market just tells you that the Rams just like they're awesome right now and Stafford is like the highest graded quarterback and like we all kind of thought you know like Stafford's pretty good and like Goff is pretty bad and if you kind of swapped them you could kind of like imagine like you like what's playing out is like what you would imagine basically like wow like this is the offense like unlimited where Goff had you know such restraints on this offense to like now we're seeing like the full potential and we're seeing why McVay you know loses the Super Bowl and then doesn't adjust the following year yeah maybe McVay is yeah right right. like maybe he has more more than you know the same old stuff in his pocket and I saw one thing that was crazy that um he they had the least play action against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and they were for years with Jared Goff you know far and away the most play action team way above everybody else and it's like McVay doesn't even care about play action anymore because he's like I'm just I'm gonna throw on you I'm gonna tell you I'm gonna throw on you and like let's see it here and it's been working out you know awesomely so um but that's what I keep saying is you beat like Stafford is like an MVP candidate. I guess Kyler Murray is too, though. But Stafford is like, you know, he's been the headlines all week. They beat Tampa Bay. And like you said, the spread goes from six to four and a half. Like I'm thinking, you know, like the pub is going to be pounding the Rams. They all want to bet the Rams. You know, we're still not sold on Arizona in terms of, you know, they fumbled down the stretch. Sean McVay has never lost to Cliff Kingsbury. I just look at the spread and I'm saying, you know, it's telling you that you you can't bet the Rams here. You know, like somebody with serious money is on the the Arizona and like whatever, you know, like there's no way I could bet the Rams here because the money is just showing you. Like I said, you come off a win over the Super Bowl champions and you're undefeated and yet the spread just craters against you. So it's weird in my opinion. I think a lot of it comes down to, you know, Kyler Murray is, you know, a really good quarterback here and he's starting to break out. And you look at... um the Rams secondary. Jalen Ramsey is obviously a superstar, but um, he's been playing the slot. You would think that in this game that he probably wouldn't play the slot because, um, and, like, they want him to be in the slot because he's near the action. And if you want him to, uh, like, spy Kyler Murray, you would probably keep him in the slot in some regards. But I would just assume that you have to have him follow Hopkins here. But the other issue is that if he does follow Hopkins, or even if he's in the slot, then it opens up things for Hopkins. But no matter what, like, the Rams don't have the cornerbacks right now. Uh, Darius Williams had an awesome year last year, starting to look like, you know, he's just under sized and it's a different scheme going from you know Brandon Staley to Raheem Morris this season um you're wondering about him David Long their other cornerback you're wondering about him you know Taylor Rapp is a tick slow as their safeties here so you're starting to look at their secondary and saying when the Cardinals can go with these four wide receivers of you know AJ Green looks okay Hopkins is obviously Hopkins Christian Kirk is breaking out because he was in the AJ Green role stuck on the outside and now AJ Green's in that role and now you move Kirk to the inside and now he's you know just just killing linebackers and slot receivers with, you know, um, just over the middle of the field here, especially, you know, with, with Murray's, uh, you know, threat to run and hold safeties and things like that. Um, just 
frees up Kirk for all those stuff. And you have Rondell Moore, who, you know, does everything. Um, you know, they had a really cool play where Moore's motioning across, Murray hands it off to Moore, and now Moore has, um, I think it's Chase Edmonds, starts running behind Moore, and now Moore is running a lead option here where he can pitch it to Edmonds or take it himself. So um, the, that's the versatility when you have Edmonds, when you have Moore. And Moore is like a fourth receiver now to where he's not this key function of the offense. He's a player that you can run jet sweeps to, and he's running the option, things of that nature. So and you do look at the Rams' defense, and you say, I talked about Andy Dalton, and that's where I'm saying you know, Andy Dalton looks okay because Andy Dalton moved the football on the Rams pretty you know, up and down for a lot of that game. You know, a red zone interception, a missed field goal, things like that are what holds them back from scoring you know, 24-27 against the Rams. Um, Carson Wentz looks awful against everybody he plays, except the Rams. He came back and, you know, they almost beat the Rams. So, you know, um, Tom Brady, you know, obviously throws for, you know, 400 yards against the Rams. Is the Rams defense any good? You know, I think there's at least a question of that. And I think whoever's betting on Arizona, like I said, that cratered that line, I think that's their line of thinking is that a team coming off the Super Bowl win where McVay was losing his freaking mind, you know, beating the Bucks. um, does he potentially overlook Cliff Kingsbury, who this is the Super Bowl for Cliff Kingsbury because he has never been able to beat Sean McVay. And Sean McVay with, um, uh, crap, John Wolford beat Cliff Kingsbury last season and knocked him out of the playoffs. So um, I think this is now the Super Bowl for, you know, Sean McVay. So you do look and you look at the thing with the Arizona Cardinals is their run defense has been poor. I look at it and say they played Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and um, James Robinson had a great game against them. Okay, that's an issue, but, you know, you're going from East Coast to West Coast, and you just played Derrick Henry and Dalvin Cook. Um, and now I'm saying, you know, is Sony Michelle really going to be able to run the football in the Arizona Cardinals? Um, I don't necessarily know. And you look at their defense, and, you know, I don't love J.J. Watt at this point, but like I said, he made Trevor Lawrence throw an interception, and he looks good because you can't one-up on J.J. Watt because you have, you know, what's his name, Chandler Jones, who's really making things go, you know, go round on that defensive line. And then you look in their back end, and, you know, Isaiah Simmons can play on the edge, and then Isaiah Simmons plays safety and then he's playing linebacker but he does all that because you have Zayvon Collins and Jordan Hicks at linebacker and then you have you know Byron Murphy in the slot and you know going to be Cooper Cup but you know that's probably the best cornerback that Cooper Cup's faced so far so the thing is I really like the other cornerback or, uh, Robert Woods and Van Jefferson I know Deshaun Jackson is in for splash plays here and there he's really truly like he doesn't play enough to where you could bank on him doing what he did against the Bucks. Van Jefferson is the guy that you could bank on doing that against Against, you know, Marco Wilson and Robert Alford and Robert Woods. It just seems like with Byron Murphy in the slot against Cup, like it would just be insane for them not to dial it up for Woods and Jefferson. That's how everybody else is getting up points against uh, them. So I think that's a great one for them. But it is like I, I keep thinking, you know, if if teams can run on, if you can run on the Rams and if they can just keep scoring against the Rams, that's where it leaves the back door open to where you would think, if especially if you can get four and a half, they'd probably cover that, that, you know, it's probably going to be a field goal game on either way. I have it 38-35. Um, I don't really know. I, I, I could see Arizona winning this game. And I think, you know, Arizona as team, we start to figure them out. I'm still not sold on them. But like I just mentioned, you know, Buda Baker, um, another guy that I forgot to mention, like th- those are big names on defense. Baker, Murphy, uh, the two draft picks, Zayvon Collins, Isaiah Simmons, Watt and Chandler Jones. So it, when they start to fall apart, when they start to get injured, I think that they're going to be bad. But they're just rolling so far right now that, I, and like I said, it's just hard to bet against them when the market's really telling you that, you know, like <laughs> I just look at that spread. And like I said, I looked at everything. I'm like, the, so the Cardinals are the right side. It's just whether you want to bet them or not. Yeah, Parks, in the same afternoon window here, the 49ers will try to drop Seahawks 2, 1, and 3. Um, the Seahawks traveling 
and two. San Fran here parks open three and a half has been ticked to three parks. The total of 50 has been bid up to 52, even 52 and a half in one spot. Uh, break this one down for us. Yeah, I don't know if this is the game where the Jimmy G calls start to get louder or not, but I think there's a chance that it is. Um, and I think Seattle is it's a good buy low spot here coming off of, you know, a tough loss to the Minnesota Vikings, but I just talked about Mike Zimmer with his back against the wall is as good as any coach and when he was at home. And I think there's issues with Seattle. It's another one where I'm not sold on Seattle in the long term, but you know, Russ going one and three, I don't necessarily see it. And here's the other thing is that um, Kyle Shanahan's two and six against Pete Carroll in his career. Um, Russ in those eight games against Kyle Shanahan, 18 touchdowns, two interceptions. And beyond that, he's three and one at San Francisco. He has nine touchdowns and two interceptions interceptions in those uh, four games. So Russ has played, you know, whoever the defensive coordinator has been, because they've gone through, you know, a couple of them now. doesn't matter. Russ has always torched since Kyle Shanahan's been there. He's had great success. And even back to, you know, Jim Harbaugh, um, you know, uh, they've always struggled against Seattle, and that's always been, you know, Pete's always just kind of had San Fran's number. It's been a huge rivalry. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo is 1-2 and two against Pete Carroll with one touchdown and two interceptions. And, you know, his thing is he has one completion of over 20 yards or more this season. He just isn't throwing the football deep, and, you know, he's keeping his job because he's protecting the football, and, you know, sometimes they're able to run the football. But here's the thing with me is that I don't know how well they're going to be able to run the football. You know, they keep shuffling these running backs. They haven't gotten continuity since Elijah Maguire hit that big run in week one really against Detroit you know they struggled to run against uh, the Eagles Green Bay invites the run and they struggled to run in some ways there so I'm just wondering you know if Seattle can clog up the run and they have a decent defensive line and they have Bobby Wagner in there if they can clog up the run can Jimmy G the Kirk Cousins picked this defense apart you know their secondary is bad Jamal Adams bites on everything and it exposes them deep and their cornerbacks play so far off that you know you throw a slant to Jefferson you throw a slant to Jefferson and then you throw the bomb to Jefferson once Adams starts to you know creep in it's like you know you don't even need to you know run to get the safeties to creep in you throw the short passes and they're creeping in so you think Seattle can get exposed deep. They have bad cornerbacks. I don't think Jimmy G, he just hasn't shown that he's going to do that this season whatsoever. Um, and he's honestly played pretty poorly to this point. And I think, like I said, I think, I don't know if this is the game, but I think the calls for, if they go to two and two here, you know, I think the calls for Trey Lance start to get a little bit louder for San Francisco, especially when I think this is going to be, you know, they had a decent run game, but I mean, Trey Sermon, and they drafted Trey Sermon as a, he ran man at Ohio State and they're trying to get him in his own blocking scheme. And I ne- it never made sense to me. And Kyle Shanahan the whole time talked as if he was going to replace Jeff Wilson. And I was like, there's no way they traded up to replace Jeff Wilson. It, I really think he traded up to replace Jeff Wilson, which is crazy to me. But Shanahan, he makes no sense with some of his player personnel decisions. He traded up for Joe Williams. He traded up for Dante Pettis. Like, you know, like... He traded up for Trey Sermon. Like sometimes it just doesn't. And he traded up for Trey Lance. But I mean, I like Trey Lance, so we'll see. But like some of his decisions just make no sense whatsoever. Um, so I think you know, I think Ayuk is starting to get going, and he has Trey Flowers. Like I said, just playing off coverage. I think they could get going, and I think you know, it's going to be a shootout in some ways. It's just yeah, when you get that shootout going, I want Russell Wilson on my side, and especially Russell Wilson coming off of two straight losses here, um, and, and taking on a team that he's like I said six and two against. 
three and one in San Francisco, 18 to two touchdown interception ratio. Um, and you look at the San Francisco Ford, uh, 49ers quarterbacks, you know, Quez Watkins has a 91 yard, you know, huge run when, like I said, Jalen Hurts, the only thing he can do is throw down the sidelines when his guys in one-on-one coverage and all San Francisco did one-on-one coverage. And, you know, he beats Quez, Quez Watkins beats his guy because they don't have anybody, you know, um, I think Kwan Williams is still hurt. Uh, they're trying to get Mosley going. He's no good. Josh Norman is like, that's embarrassing. Kirkpatrick, like they have no cornerbacks. So, you know, you look at whether Lockett's healthy or not. Um, it's DK Metcalf time because if Kwan Williams is healthy, at least they have a slot cornerback. Their outside cornerbacks are going to get torched by DK Metcalf. And it's, it's time to unleash him deep here. So um, I think it's DK Metcalf. I think if Lockett's out all of a sudden, it opens up for Gerald Everett and uh, Freddie Swain because I think D. Eskridge is banged up. So there's parts of me that says, you know, does Seattle have the receivers? There's parts of me that says, Russ torches them, man. And I remember when uh, I think San Fran was undefeated and he beat them, or they had one loss and he beat them. I think they were undefeated at the time. On Monday Night Football, Russ was dropping bombs on, you know, a Super Bowl defense. And I don't think this defense is that Super Bowl defense. I think they're a lot worse right now, especially in their secondary. Um, So that's, you know, receivers versus DK Metcalf. That's bad. So I think Russ and DK have a huge one. And I think San Fran can't run the football the way that they need to to keep Russ off the field and the way that they need to to get Jimmy G going. So 31-23 Seattle. I think both teams will be 2-2 after this week. You heard the man. Moving on to the next one here, Parks, Baltimore, down to Denver. This is a very interesting one, Parks. Uh, we talked a little bit uh, about Denver before we started recording here. Easiest schedule so far. Um, Lamar, it looks like there's something with his back, but um, you know, both the, the coaches in Baltimore didn't seem too concerned about him suiting up for this 425. Um, but the Ravens are on the road here. Parks open. The Ravens minus one and a half on the road. Um, some books have flipped to Denver Lane. One, um, there are still two books out there um, laying the Ravens as favorites. How do you break this one down? This is another one, though, that I think, you know, the public sentiment, like you kind of said, you know, Denver hasn't proven it yet. They haven't beaten anybody. You know, Lamar and the Ravens are coming into town and they're going to get them right. But that spread tells me that, you know, is Denver the right side here? Because, you know, why wouldn't it with all the public? That defense. Yeah, right. And here's the thing is that um, the other thing that I think when you look at Baltimore's schedule, they play late Monday night football against the Ravens or the Raiders and go into overtime and lose that game in a tight one. And they suffer a ton of injuries. They come back home for a Sunday night game, late Sunday night football against, you know, an all in effort against Mahomes. They come back. I'm pretty sure Lamar injured his back doing that flip into the end zone. And um, they're trying to downplay it, but I'm pretty sure that's why. What happened. Their adrenal glands got to be exhausted. Exactly. This so you go to, you know, uh, what's it called? Baltimore for, you know, a late Sunday night game all in. And then you get the Detroit game and you play until the very last second and you almost lose to Detroit. You have to complete a fourth and 19 to beat the Detroit Lions. And that's where everybody's saying, oh, we love Detroit. We love Detroit against Chicago. And I'm saying that's a letdown spot and a half for me, you know, for the Baltimore Ravens here. So I just don't I don't really buy into that. But I do. You know, like I said, Hollywood was, you know, wide open. Missing passes, everything like that. There is a case that the Ravens could have a good one here, but you go from, you know, two primetime spots, beat the Chiefs, somewhat of a letdown, but that's an all-in effort because you had to win 19-17 to at the last second, and now not only do you have to travel to Denver for back-to-back road games, you have to travel to altitude in Denver, and uh, I know, I think the game will be played in October. I, I actually know that's a fact. I don't think that, um, but it's, it's late September, and the Denver Broncos are insane against the spread in September because 
there's been studies done on this that in altitude, it's harder to catch your breath when it's hot out and when there's heat than it is when it's cold out. And another thing is that teams are more conditioned to play in, you know, by the end of the season or later, but there's been a lot of studies that as the season goes on, Denver starts to lose their home field advantage. So I looked at the weather and it's going to be 75 degrees in Denver. And that's like, I'm like, man, it is starting. I think a lot of the pieces are starting to come together that back-to-back road games, three straight all-in efforts for the Baltimore Ravens. They're still super banged up. You know, they're about to get Bateman back. And I think there's going to be a chance here. If they lose this game, I think there's a chance to buy on the Ravens moving forward as they kind of lick their wounds off of. This is a tough stretch and it just ends in Denver, who I think they're hearing a lot of that, you know, that they haven't beaten anybody that, you know, and I think this is a huge game and a chance for them to do this thing. And, um, you know, uh, one thing is the Louisville Bowl here. You got Lamar versus Teddy Bridgewater, you know, two of the best Louisville quarterbacks ever. Um, I think, you know, first off, Lamar Jackson, he looks like he took a huge step this season. I don't think people have noticed it yet because um, He's been throwing really well, which you which you said coming into the draft when people said you know wide receiver, we heard a wide receiver talk and all that. Yeah, and like the first thing was that he, I knew he could manage the pocket, and that's when I knew like he's going to be fine because he can manage the pocket. Now he's now he's attacking all, you know, he's attacking. Now he's making like serious plays to all levels of the field, and uh, you know, Sammy Watkins drops a touchdown against the Raiders. Like I said, Hollywood could have had three touchdowns against Detroit. He, you know, carries the team to a win against the Kansas City Chiefs. Like Lamar is going to be fine, but it is this is easily you know the toughest defense for him. And like I said, it's a by low chance. Um, if they lose this game. So, um, and Vic Fangio, you know, he's somewhat struggled against these pass passing guys, but they just lost Josie Jewell. So what he's going to do is bring an extra safety into the box to replace Josie Jewell. And when you look at the Ravens receivers, you say it, once Bateman comes back, I've talked about it, it really opens everything up for not only him, but for Hollywood. But right now, Hollywood's going to get Pat Sertain. And I've talked about Sertain looks awesome. Um, Fuller's going to get Watkins and Watkins is just bad. And that's going to be the key is they, once they get Watkins out of there, it's going to open things up, I'm telling you, because Devin DuVernay caught a touchdown, and he's making plays, and he's going to be in the slot, but he gets Bryce Callahan. It's tough. They're going to have to run the football, and you look at their front, and you say, you know, Villanueva had another bad game. Their right tackle, like I said, he was their backup center. They're still shuffling some of their guards, so um, they just don't have the offensive line right now to where I think, you know, I think, first off, it's definitely an under game, but second off, I think Lamar will probably struggle in this game against, you know, Vaughn Miller's taking on um, Patrick McCarry, the right tackle there, so it's going to be an issue. Um, you look at their defensive front, um, and everybody's talking about, you know, the, you know, it's like such an easy handicap. And that's where I keep saying, you know, then why are the Broncos still favored if it's so easy of um, the Ravens were missing like four guys with COVID last week against the Detroit Lions, you know, Matabuke, Brandon Williams, some of their best defensive players. I think Calais was on the list too. So, um, but like, I, I don't know, that's COVID, you know, like, okay, they're back from COVID and now they're going to altitude to play in the heat. Like that's breathing. Yeah, and Von Miller talked talked about like a couple months ago he's still feeling it in his lungs exactly yeah and like the thing that like it's tough to speculate because like were they a close contact did they you know test positive were they coughing where is it no symptoms it's like i don't know but like i know that if five people on the defensive line have covid and they're all coming back this week like maybe one or two of them aren't at a hundred percent you know or maybe one or two of them are gassed because they're at altitude and things of that nature um and the thing is you know teddy is so good against the blitz and the ravens sell out and blitz all the time um you know teddy's the best at it because he he's he doesn't extend plays he doesn't make big plays but he can he can read what's in front of him and he can get the ball out of his hands and that's for the most part you know especially against who they've played that's all you really 
need for that. Um, you know, Marlon Humphrey will follow Cortland Sutton, but you know, we've talked about even with Hamler out and even with Judy out, Tim Patrick, this is his chance. Um, he's about to get free agency. Um, and he's going to be, you know, a big name free agent wide receiver because he's been a fourth guy for Denver. And if he explodes here as the number two guy, all of a sudden Tim Patrick, you know, from USC, a big recruit, everything like that, just never really got a chance. But now here he is, you know, as the number two guy. And we've talked about, I think they are getting Jimmy Smith back for this game, but the Ravens have been thin at cornerback all season. So, um, I think, you know, if you can do that and the thing with, uh, the, um, Denver is that they play with extra tight ends. They put, you know, uh, first off, Fant is basically going to be their slot, you know, receiver now that they don't have a slot receiver, but they have Albert O and they have another blocking tight end. So they run heavy and it gets Baltimore to stop playing. Like I kind of talked about with the Browns, you stop playing in safeties, you start putting your linebackers in. And the thing with their linebackers is Patrick Queen's been awful so far this season. I mean, he was bad last season, really. Um, I don't know what they're going to do because like, and he's young, but it's still like now that they're entering year two, um, and Detroit, you know, really attacked him and Swift was just, you know, destroying him. So they have issues and that's where it all comes together. And I think, like I said, Baltimore, this is a bad spot for them uh, at Denver. And I think it's a good spot for Denver to like prove themselves. And I was looking at the schedule and I talked about it with you. I think Denver now is 4-0 mighty and then they go to Pittsburgh and they lose. And that's where, you know, you start to realize and like I, I completely agree that Denver is playing over their heads or they're not this 3-0 team. I think it's just like I said, if it was so easy that Baltimore, then they'd be like laying three in this spot and they're not because I think Baltimore is banged up and they're in a tough spot too. And I think it's going to be easier for Pittsburgh next week to be, you know, a 4-0 Denver team coming off of this emotional win than it is for Baltimore to travel to Denver and win in that tough spot. So that's just kind of, it's a, it's funny because it's like how I, I like play the schedules out like with these ways, but it usually works out for me. So I like Denver to win this game. All right, Parks, um, moving on to this next one, we're kind of just touched on a little bit here. The Pittsburgh Steelers travel to Green Bay to take on the Packers. This one opened six and a half. Some books are still hanging there. Um, just a handful have moved to seven parks. The total of 47 and a half has smartly been moved down to 45 and a half. Um, how do you see this one playing out, Parks? Yeah, you know, bet the under till you can't with the Steelers. Um, it's been going good so far, and it's, you know, I don't think it's going to go poorly in this one either. Because, yeah, you look at Green Bay and you say that um, they're going West Coast, Monday Night Football, back to, you know, Green Bay. And they're so good at home that I just don't see them losing this game. But I do think Pittsburgh is going to cover. And um, first off, Tomlin's 15-4 and four as an underdog. Um, it's usually, and I think a lot of it has to do with, you know, when Pittsburgh's bad, there's an overreaction to Pittsburgh being bad because they're such a popular popular team that, you know, when it's bad, it feels like it's the worst thing ever. And like, it's an overreaction. So there's usually value on him as an underdog, but also like he gets his guys to, you know, they show up for, you know, most situations. It was Rudolph and duck eight and eight. Yeah, exactly. So, and like he was an underdog for the majority of those games. So that's where it's like, oh, you know, can he win with Ben? He actually has a winning record without Ben Roethlisberger. So you add in that TJ Watt is definitely going to be back in this game. And you add in, you know, you look at their, uh, I don't know who their left tackle is going to be. It was this Nijamin guy. <laughs> yeah, right. And it, that's truly because it's, it's either their third string guy or, you know, potentially even worse. So, it's, you know, their third string left tackle, the right tackle is Billy Turner. He stinks. So, you know, Watt in that situation, um, you know, and when Watt was healthy, they were beating the Raiders and, you know, not necessarily on their way to 2-0 and or anything like that. But I think that team has a completely different presence with Watt on the field, especially, like I said, you know, you get Rodgers um, coming back, you know, to the 
to the East Coast or coming back, you know, home, but coming back from Monday night football on the West Coast, or I guess it was Sunday night, wasn't it? Huh? Either way, Sunday night football, coming back, everything like that. They don't have a great left tackle. And then you look at um, the, the Steelers against the Green Bay Packers. The Packers don't get after the quarterback whatsoever. Um, like they're by far the worst team. You know, Buffalo's been better. Uh, Oakland's been better. Whoever's been better. Cincinnati's been better. Green Bay, uh, you know, Zedaria Smith is out. They just can't do it. Um, the big issue is they got Kenny Clark against Kendrick Green. Um, Kenny Clark uh, tore Alex Mack apart. And Alex Mack, is he may be washed, but he's a veteran center. And you didn't think that was going to happen against Kenny Clark. And that's where I don't trust San Fran to run the football. But Kenny Clark is going to destroy Kendrick Green. I mean, and Kendrick Green, I wouldn't. he hasn't had a great start to his career. And the thing is, you know, they're trying to move from man to zone and they just, they, <laughs> there's just so many moving parts for the Steelers offense at the same time that it's just, it's so bad and disjointed. And they basically like, I think Kendrick Green is going to be a lot better as a zone blocker and they just can't run zone right now because they, they can't run anything right now, but they can't run zone for sure. And, but here's the thing with um, the Steelers is that they played three of the top 10 teams in adjusted line yards, defensive line yards. When you look at the Buffalo and you look at the Raiders and you look at Cincy and you say, you know, is that because the Steelers are propping up that stat? And you say, well, since he's played good against Dalvin Cook and the Raiders have been really good against the run in all scenarios and Buffalo, you know, is for the most part um, shut down the run. You know, they shut down Gibson pretty hard. So you say maybe it's just not a good run defense. And then you look or maybe they've played a bunch of good run defenses. Green Bay ranks 23rd in adjusted line yards way outside the top 10. They're 24th in power rank and they're 32nd in stuffed rank. So at the very least, Pittsburgh should be able to get two or three yards at a time where, you know, uh, Najee has, uh, you know, one of the lower before contact rates. It seems like in this game, they should actually be able to run the football without getting complete contact. So we'll see. But I think that's the that's the key. Like the Steelers have to be able to run the football, especially against this Green Bay front that I talk about it all the time. These teams play too high. They invite the run. They don't want to get burnt. I mean, maybe against Ben Roethlisberger, you play different. But the thing is, what's so funny is that teams don't even stack the box against the Steelers and they can't run the football. And that's where it's like, it's tough to like get on board with the Steelers. But um, Green Bay is not going to stack the box because like, why would you? Nobody stacks the box against the Steelers and they do just fine. So um, Jair Alexander, if Deontay Johnson is playing, I'd assume he would follow him. If not, it would be Claypool. Um, Ben just, he can't hit Claypool deep. It's just so bad right now. And he hit him a couple times, but he had a wide open touchdown that Ben just completely missed him on. So Ben just relies on their short passes to Deontay. I don't know if, you know, Juju's going to play, but there is, you know, a matchup advantage to whether Eric Stokes, um, whether he plays the slot or the outside, um, it, then it puts Shannon Sullivan in the slot and maybe you could attack the slot or it puts Kevin King on the outside and you could attack the outside. It just depends. So there's matchup advantages for the Steelers on offense, especially compared to the last three games, but it's still, I still have them, you know, scoring 17 points basically. So it's not like there's a lot of, you know, because yeah, Ben's just, it's done for him, you know, and he does have, you know, a poor offensive line, but a lot of it is he can't move. It's his, it's much more his lower body than his upper body. I don't think people realize that because he can't put anything, like he gets no torque on his 
from his lower body and he puts no velocity on any, and that's why he can't throw over the middle. Hertz has no idea what he's looking at. Ben knows exactly what he's looking at. And he says, I can't get that football through that tight hole. And people, when you're watching it on TV, you can't realize how tight some of these holes are, but like you got to really have zip on a football. And if you don't have zip on a football, it's going to get tipped. It's going to go in the air and it's going to get picked off. And that's, you know, that's why Ben doesn't throw over the middle of the field. So, um, and like I said, he can't move because his lower body is just, it's not like, like he could, he could, like he's fast compared to like normal human beings. It's just, it's so fast in the NFL. And if you don't have that quick twitch, if you, if he can't just boom, like move and like boom, flick his wrist and that ball's gone, then, then you're done. And that's, that's where he is right now. So that sucks. So, um, Either way, yeah, I mean, then you got, uh, the thing with the Steelers is that they've been really good against passes to the running back. Devin Bush, you know, uh, he gets ragged on a little bit, but he defends the sidelines as good as, like, not as good as Roquan Smith. Roquan Smith is awesome, but, you know, coming back from an ACL injury, I think he'll do pretty well against Aaron Jones in that spot, and then, you know, you have Joe Scobert in the middle of the field keeping things together. So I think, you know, the other thing is, do you follow uh, Devontae Adams with Joe Hayden? I feel like you have to, because, and Joe Hayden typically only plays his side, and looks like he's a little bit, you know, this is the, and you know, he was crying and crying, looking for a contract. Well, guess what, Joe, you're not getting a contract next year anyways, but he, nice press coverage he had on Chase. Yeah, right. And he gave up a touchdown to Chase too. So he, but he's clearly their best cornerback because another guy who gave up a touchdown to Chase, you know, James Pierre. So, um, yeah. And, and that's the thing is, put them all in. yeah. And once you spread them thin with, you know, Lazard and MVS, like I said, MVS leads the league in uh, unrealized air yard. And what that means is Rogers throws to him deep and he just, he, it's air yards minus yards is that's literally what it is. So he has a ton of air yards and he doesn't have a lot of yards. So he has a bunch of unrealized air yards and you think, you know, if Hayden follows Devonte Adams, then MVS is probably going to get deep for one. If Hayden plays sides, then Devonte Adams just torches you all game. You know, it's like, so what do you, what do you want? You just want to get, you know, it is death by a thousand paper cuts or, you know, one big swoop and you cut your head off with MVS. How do you want it Steelers? And that's, you know, I think if they had any sort of offense, they could keep up in this game. But I think, you know, like I said, the Packers don't have a great offensive line. I think they're going to be able to keep Aaron Jones in check. And I think it's just one or two big Rodgers passes against a revitalized Packers pass rush. So 21-16 is where I have this one because you can't expect the Steelers to score 17 unless they score a defensive touchdown. All right, Parks, moving on here, looking at the... Sunday night game, Tom Brady's return to New England. This one opened. Bucks lane five and a half has been moved to seven across the board. There actually is still one six and a half out there. The total of fifty and a half that opened has been moved down to forty nine parks. How do you see this one going? It's tough because um, obviously it just seems like the side is the Patriots, but I don't think I'm going to do it. I would rather bet the Buccaneers here coming off a loss with Tom Brady. It's just you know what does Belichick and Brady know about each other and those things? It's just in my opinion the Patriots just don't have enough, especially on their back end, to compete with Tom Brady when you know he's getting AB back. Gronk's going to be there as much as you would say that Belichick knows about Brady. You think Brady knows this defense just as well. And the fact is that, you know, who had the success last season, the Buccaneers, whereas the Patriots necessarily didn't. And you look at Mac Jones and you say that the game really comes down to him. You know, everyone's going to, prop up the Brady, you know, Belichick thing, Brady is going to get his, like, you can't slow down what they're doing on offense with all their offensive superstars. And even against the Rams, as they slowed him down a little bit, there still wasn't there. And you could say that that was a look ahead spot. And I love the Rams last weekend because of that look ahead spot. And you say, you know, 
If Mac Jones can keep up with Tom Brady at least enough, then the Patriots are going to have a shot here because they can control the clock. They have, you know, it's going to be a home game on prime time. They can keep themselves in this game. And with a seven point, you know, spread, they could get in the back door and everything. I just, you know, I love Mac Jones. I think he's done really well at protecting the football until these last two games. And I think the thing with him is that his two interceptions, I barely blame him for because he got hit as he threw and one bounced off the hands of Jonu Smith. But it was a lot of these deep passes that he threw. It seemed like in all week they kept questioning him about, you know, it seemed like he left a lot of points on the board against the Jets defense and he was taking the checkdowns and he wasn't turning the football over, but they were winning the game, you know, and they were, they should have beat the Miami Dolphins too, but you know, and everyone's saying, oh, look, you know, he left this on the board. He left this. And I'm saying, you know, if I was Mac Jones, I would just take it, take it, take it. And like, at some point it's going to come that you're going to pass the football down the field. You know, Brady from like 01 to 03, and I don't want to compare him to Brady. I think it's the better comparison is Jimmy G you know, for Mac Jones, if you were comparing a Patriots quarterback, but either way from 01 to 03, Brady wasn't throwing deep either. You know, it's like, it took him years to start to be like Tom freaking Brady, you know? So if I was Mac Jones, I would just keep doing what you're doing and not worry about, like he just tried to push it deep too often. And it shows his limitations because he doesn't have the arm strength that like, and it is, if you watch these games, like Everyone says, oh, that's so racist that Justin Fields doesn't process as fast as Mac Jones. No. Like you, if you watch the All-22, Justin Fields does not process as fast as Mac Jones. He's way more, like, more athletic and a way better arm, but like Mac Jones can at least process the, the field. And you look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and you say, um, their secondary is depleted at this point. That's why the Rams threw all over them. And uh, they just signed Richard Sherman, you know, whether he plays or not. Um, like, I don't know. And he doesn't even look that, like, the last time he was on the field, he didn't even look that healthy. And, you know, so other than that, it's Ross Cockrell, it's Dee Delaney. Like, these guys are, they sh- like, there's chances to torch these guys. It's just, like I said, you know, it's Mac Jones, Nelson Aguilar, and Jacoby Myers. And the other issue is that, you know, Trent Brown has missed the last two games at right tackle. Um, they've been really getting torched at right tackle. You look at the defensive line of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Sue, Vea, um, I think JPP is going to be out, but either way, you have, you know, Barrett and this Joe Tryon, who they just drafted. You know, it's just tough for me to see Mac Jones in a shootout going back and forth with Tom Brady. I do think it's the over, and I think Tampa Bay team total over might be the play because I think that he's just going to be able to, like, they throw at such a high rate, they play so fast, and they attack down the field that it's going to be hard for this Patriots defense to really keep up in that scenario. And you look at the Patriots, they've played, you know, uh, Jameis Winston, Zach Wilson, and two in their first three games. So now getting this Tom Brady team, you think that this defense is a little bit overrated. So I can't get on board with the Patriots. I think Tom Brady is going to roll in this one, and I think he's going to throw four touchdowns. So there you go. Mario Parks, last one here. Monday night, Vegas travels to L.A. take on the Chargers off that nice win against the Chiefs there. Parks opened Chargers lane three, has been moved to three and a half. Some spots out of the books have held steady at that three, the 53 total has a move down to 51 and a half across the board. There's a 152 still out there. How do you see this one playing out? Yeah, it's tough because, um, especially, and I should have talked about it more with Kansas City, is that, you know, Mahomes turned it over a ton in that game. And really, you know, the Chargers were able to win that game, obviously, but they took advantage of, um, first, Mahomes threw that no-look pass that, you know, if he's looking at the guy, he throws a more accurate pass, but he threw no-look, and all of a sudden, you know, it's a bad pass, gets tipped in the air, intercepted, and then he threw the other one, he just, like, threw it up for grabs, fading away, getting sacked, basically. And then um, Clyde Edwards fumbled once and then uh, what's her name uh, their backup tight end fumbled so you know you get those four turnovers and you say 
are the Chargers a little bit overrated in that they get Fitzpatrick and Fitzpatrick gets hurt and then they lose to the Dallas Cowboys and then they get four turnovers against the Chiefs? You know, are they a little bit overrated? But I say, are the Raiders the one that are overrated in that they beat, you know, everybody's falling apart on the Ravens and they're at home, you know, opening the stadium and they were still down like two scores in the fourth quarter of that game and came back. They're losing to the Steelers when TJ Watt gets injured. Um, and, you know, uh, Devin Bush is out, Joe Hayden's out, you know, you just start listing off players who are injured. You add in the list of players that are injured for the Ravens. And then you add in the Tua, you know, okay, I don't put in a lot that Tua's out, but, you know, Tua's banged up. Their offensive line, like I said, starting to right tackle for the first time. Um, a lot of guys are banged up and everything like that. So you say, and like we kind of talked about, they really, you know, they got in control of that game against Miami, but they're down 14 nothing early in that game. Uh, you know, they let them back in that game. It goes into overtime. They almost lost it in overtime. I'm looking at it and saying, you know, everyone's, or, you know, not everyone's saying, no, the Chargers were getting lucky getting those turnovers, but I think you could make the same case for, you know, you typically want to fade the team that pulls off an upset by getting four turnovers, and that would be the Chargers, but I feel like the the Raiders are just getting as lucky on the other side of the breaks. When it comes down to head coaches, I know, you know, Staley versus Gruden. Gruden's been a great offensive schemer this season, and, you know, he's done a great job at not only protecting Carr, but dialing up deep shots and deep attack and everything like that. I've been saying it all the time. The two high safeties that the Chargers play limits deep attacks. We're going to see, like, it's going to be a great matchup because they're going to throw deep and they're going to limit deep. So it's going to be a great one. Um, but Derwin James just, like, it wasn't just Derwin James, you know, Kaiser White, um, guys like that. Michael Davis was in there a little bit. Um, and Derwin James to shut down Travis Kelsey last week. I know they didn't shut him down, but they had a great performance against him. Now they get Darren Waller. Um, so I, I really like what, um, what's his name, Brandon Staley does with his defense. I think it's the perfect matchup for the Raiders in terms of Derwin on Waller, their linebackers on Waller. Like they drafted these guys for Waller and Kelsey, mainly Kelsey, but now that Waller's here, it helps that that's in the division. They drafted these guys literally for this. And, um, and um, I forget what I was going to say either way, but Bosa against the right tackle, I was just saying, you know, what was killing Carr, what strips that Carr on like one of the first drives. And like I said, Pittsburgh was winning early in that game because, you know, Watt was destroying the right tackle. Now you get Bosa against that right tackle. So really like the Chargers defense. Just think it's better than the Raiders defense, who's playing pretty well. But, you know, the Chargers offensive line has showed really well. And the other thing is Justin Herbert. I know Derek Carr's playing out of his mind, but I just think he's overall more talented. And the other thing is Mike Williams is having an insane breakout season. And they used to use him as a field stretcher. And now they're putting him in the X role. And he's playing like he is. He beats people off the line and he gets over the middle of the field like he is a complete receiver right now and as a complete receiver he's one of the most dominant receivers because he's so big and like he, he went in the top 10 and we all thought this was going to happen it just took like five years which is crazy but he's dominating right now and then you got Keenan Allen against Hobbs their cornerback their slot cornerback who struggled in some regards you got Eckler against um, their linebackers in the passing game and they've been shuffling linebackers I know Perriman's playing well but he's a little bit older so you know you look at it and, you know, you assume uh, if they can keep it over the top, you got a guy like Asante Samuel that you could either shut down. Um, I kind of assume you put him on Renfro here and then all of a sudden, you know, Samuel's had a great season so far. So you put him on Renfro and you, you put Derwin on Waller and you complete over the top for rugs because that's how you play defense anyways. So I think they're going to be in a good spot here. And like I said, I just like the I love what the Chargers are doing. I think that they're a really good team. I know that the Raiders are a little bit surprising, but I think the Chargers are going to be here. So um, I have a Chargers. 
Chargers 31, uh, Raiders 24. All right, Parks, I'll do for week four. Um, we'll be back to recap everything. All right, guys, enjoy the game.